As I said, 1 Samuel chapter 22, if uh, you did not get a lesson, uh, Dave might have one. Good. If you, if you run out, uh, the class next door may have some extra ones too. We're not sure about that. But anyway, we're, uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 22. We've been go- we're going, for those who are guests, we're going, we're beginning a study. We have begun a study months ago on the kings, and we're starting in 1 Samuel. We've traced the record of God's uh, direction for the son of Kish, Saul to become the first king, and we've studied his beginning and, and his demise, and really we're getting fairly close to the, as far as the scripture goes, uh, to when he will be replaced. But last week, uh, David, is, David is on the run, uh, Saul is after him, Saul try, has tried numerous ways to take him out, to kill him, and he went to Nob last week. And you'll remember that's where uh, the Himelech, the uh, priest of Nob, gave him a weapon, a Goliath's sword, gave him food. And, and from there he left and went to Gath, which was a very unusual place to go to because it was the home of Goliath. The people of Gath recognized David and knew that David was a celebrated uh, person in Israel, even though this is a Philistine area, Gath. And so David disguised himself, hoping that he could uh, get, escape, and indeed he did. And so that brings us to chapter 22 and verse 1. And let's read a few verses, and then we'll get into the lesson. Verse 1 says, David therefore departed thence. He left Gath and escaped to the cave Adullam, or Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Now this is a, a really a significant... Uh, moment in David's life. He has been struggling. You remember last week we talked about the fear he had of Saul and how the fear led him or caused him, motivated him uh, to do some things that really were, were ill-advised. He lied on a number of occasions and he, now he's on the run again and he come to this cave in Adullam. Now, on the back of your lesson, there is a map. We had this map last week. But if you look at this and uh, just notice a few places, many of the places we're talking about in our lesson are on this map. Uh, Nob, for instance, we see right there kind of in the center up to close to the top. Saul, uh, Gibeah is at, uh, where Saul was. And Jerusalem there, Jebus, is not yet called Jerusalem, but you see the these different places. And if you go to the left over here is Gath, and that's in Philistine territory. And from there, he's going to flee and go to Adullam. Now, it's hard to put this thing in perspective as far as distance goes, but from Gath to Adullam is only somewhere between six and ten miles. It's not a long journey, but 
and you might wonder, how could you just go six miles and hide and have any um, hope that you won't be found? Well, for one thing, this is very rugged territory. It's, it's, um, it's hilly. It's not, they, it is considered a mountain. Jerusalem is on Mount Zion, but it's not a mountain like the Smoky Mountains or like the uh, Rocky Mountains. But it's a very rugged, very rugged terrain. If you've ever been to Israel, you know how that is. And it is hilly. As a matter of fact, you look at the Dead Sea here, uh, which we're very familiar with. The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. So that's, that's one of the lowest places you would ever go. 1,300 feet below sea level. Uh, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet below sea level. So from where, where you'd go to the Dead Sea up to Jerusalem, you're talking about almost 4,000 feet in elevation change, and that's only 15 miles. So you can see that it's a, it's a hilly place, a rugged terrain, and so David has now moved his headquarters to a dulem, to a cave, and it's pretty interesting when you think about it. The man who's already been anointed and appointed to be the next king of Israel is hiding out in a cave, not ex exactly a palace. And so, back to our lesson. Um, so David escapes to this place in Judah, and uh, a small letter B in your notes there, we don't really know how long he was there alone. He had some people with him when he was when he left Gath, but we don't know how long he was there alone. But it really appears by his own testimony, two things, his own testimony, which we find in the Psalms about his experience in the cave at Adullam. The second thing is his behavior changed. You'll notice some things about David that changed, as, as I think as a result of him being in this cave, hidden, alone, certainly apprehensive about what the future would hold. And, and it was a time, I believe, of really getting his bearings spiritually. Like I said, not to knock David. Who am I to knock David? But he's, he's been making some mishaps, these lies that he told, totally, total fabrications, you know, which is not right. And so, so I really believe this was a time of spiritual renewal. Now, I don't want to get too far sidetracked, but if you turn to the Psalms for a moment, let's just look at some Psalms that were written during this time. And I just want to kind of read through them because reading through them, we get some perspective about David's attitude. Psalm 57. In Psalm 57, it says in the title, the heading of the Psalm, that David wrote it when he fled from Saul in the cave. So let's just look at that. I'm going to read through it quickly. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Now, if you've ever been in a place, let me just insert, if you've ever been in a place where you were struggling, you were doubting, you were fearful, you didn't know what you were going to do, you're worried about your circumstances, and then you come through that to realize, you know, God really is in control. I really can trust him. Well, I think that's where David was. He's getting his bearings, his spiritual bearings back. 
He says there in verse 1, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah, my heart is fixed. O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my psaltery. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. So that shows you a man who's got enemies, he's he's in a desperate place, and yet his heart is fixed. He's trusting in the Lord. Let's quickly go to Psalm 142, and then we'll get back to our lesson. Psalm 142, and it says in Psalm 142, this was a a prayer of David when he was in the cave. And so here again, we get some insight into where David was. Psalm 142, verse 1, "I, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. That's a very descriptive phrase, isn't it? When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. You knew where I was. In the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. That's an interesting thing for someone who said nobody cares for me. But he says, the righteous shall. God's going to surround me with good people, people that I need. The righteous righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. So when I read those things, back to uh, 1 Samuel 22, when I read those things, you know, I see that this experience in the cave was really, I believe, a powerful time in David's life. And we'll see in the next chapter as we get to that time how his perspective has changed. And just, a, just really a personal application, you know, if that's, at that time of David going into this cave and hiding resulted in him drawing closer to God, then we can learn from that. When we're going through our own struggles, when we're going through our own trials, um, it... it, it 
would be well for us if we would just kind of hit the pause button and say, you know, I've got to get with God and get some perspective and direction from God about what I'm going through. And I believe that's what happened with David. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says in verse 1 that when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. So his family, now where's David from? He's from Bethlehem. Of the, of the, his dad's name was Jesse. And so when they found, out that he, they found out that he was in this cave, they went to where he was. But not only did they go, look in verse 2, everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that discontent, sounded like, sounds like Baptist people, right? <laughs> in debt, distressed, discontent. But they began to gather themselves unto him. It's like a bunch of society misfits that are coming to be with him. And it says in verse 2 there, that there assembled there unto them about 400 men. So again, this is a very important phase or stage event in David's life. He's getting new perspective from God, and he's being, uh, he's attracting some people who will become some of the mightiest warriors ever. We're not going to turn to it. But if you read about David's mighty men, people who killed hundreds of people single-handedly, these are the people that are starting to gather around him. And so he has these people that are coming around him, 400 of them at this time. And um, so it says also concerning his family in verse 3, um, David went thence to Mizpah of Moab and said unto the king of Moab, let my father and mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know that God, what God will do for me. And he brought them before, brought his parents, brought him before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him in Moab all the while that David was in the hole. So again, if you look at your map, you know, you're probably familiar with where Moab is. It's on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, and uh, the Moabites, you know got their beginning uh, in the days of Lot and an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. That's where the Moabites came from. So there again, these are enemies of Israel. And yet David felt like his, his folks would be safer there than where he, where he was with them. So, so he gets his family, moves them to Moab. And then another significant thing in verse 5, it says in the prophet Gad who's mentioned more than once in the scripture, the prophet Gad, by the way, just, just for, what it, in the, for what it's worth category, you know, when we think about prophets, we think about Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and these different, and they were great prophets, but there were scores and scores of prophets that God would speak to and speak through in the days prior to the scripture. And, and so Gad was one of those Prophets, the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hole, don't stay where you are, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hareth. It's a place that really we don't know exactly where that is. So we see what's going on in David's life. Now while that's happening, we'll see in the next verse, in verse 6, Saul is 
finds out that David has been sighted, and that, that puts another a series of events into motion. Verse 6, Then when Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, not only has David been discovered, but the men that are with him, and now here's in parentheses, this is where Saul was. Now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah. We showed, saw that on the map earlier. Here, look what Saul, Saul is doing. Having his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing about him. Now, so he's got his security detail around him. He's got his spear in his hand and he really is fearful of David. And we talked about this last week. He has nothing to fear as far as David is concerned. David just wants to be his servant. David was the most faithful servant he could have, but his mind is messed up. His mind is twisted, and he's been poisoned by his own thoughts. And so beginning in verse 6, we find um, how Saul responded. By the way, you may have noticed that your lesson doesn't have fill-in-the-blanks today. How many of y'all noticed that already? Y'all are pretty observant. How many of you prefer having blanks that you fill in? Anybody? Man, nobody likes the blanks. I'm going to go back to it. (laughs) Yeah, I've just, people say it kind of distracts me trying to fill in the blanks. So anyway, just, I, I need to get that out. So Saul gets wind of this in verse 6. Verse 7. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him. Now he heard about David and David's men. Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse, talking about David, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? In other words, do you think he's going to help you? Do you think these are are Saul's military servants? Do you think he's going to give you a place in his his, uh, army, so to speak? Verse 8, that all of you have conspired against me. He's accusing all of them of conspiring against against him, Saul is. And there is none that showed me that my son, talking about Jonathan, hath made a league a covenant with the son of Jesse. Nobody's told me that. Now, notice this bit of a little pity party here from Saul. There is none of you that is sorry for me. You don't feel sorry for what I'm going through. Or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me. Now he's accusing Jonathan of stirring up his servant David against him. Me to lie in wait. He thinks that's what David's doing. He's out there waiting to ambush me as it is this day. Now here's a man who's deeply troubled emotionally and mentally and is, is, it is really as off track as he, he could be. He's living in this fear. Um, I, I said in the notes he's went into this jealous and paranoid rage, accused his men of disloyalty, treason, withholding information, not showing him sympathy, that he wanted, accused Jonathan. What a conspiracy. Talking about conspiracy theorists. What a conspiracy that he thought Jonathan was conspiring against him. And even that last part of verse 8, to, to lie in wait as this day, he thought David was lying in wait to, to kill him. He's really dominated by fear. He's delusional is what he is. 
and he's delusional based on information that is not factual at all. But by the way, if we just think about it, the same thing can happen to us. Something we think is real is not really real at all. Something we fear may be only imagined, and that's really where Saul was. He was in a very bad place. He's surrounded by his soldiers. He believes that they're disloyal. He believed that David was trying to kill him. So verse 9, after his little rant there in verse 8, in verse 9, Doeg speaks up. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul. Now who remembers who Doeg was? Yeah. Whenever the priest gave David the sword and gave David the bread from the showbread, Doeg was there. He witnessed it. He saw it. So here we find Doeg speaking up to Saul. Then Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, that's the chief priest, and he, he, talking about Ahimelech, he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king said, sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. So, again... Doeg is telling his version of what happened when David was before the priest. But one of the things that we don't know happened, and Ahimelech said did not happen, was when Doeg said in verse 10, he inquired of the Lord for him. And that could have meant he used the ephod to try to find out what God, what God was going to do. It could have meant that he just prayed for him. But in either case, Saul, to Saul it was treason. And now he sends in verse uh, 11 for all of these priests to be brought to him. Now, just on the back, we're on the back page of your notes now, or the second page. The only thing Saul would, had to recognize was that he was, he, he was, he was following, he was, he's, he's chased a, into a rabbit hole this whole idea about David being against him. There's only one cure for him. And that's to acknowledge that he's wrong. To hear that he's believing a lie. And by the way, I've seen this many times in people's lives. Where something they believed about life or something they believed about some family member, something they believed in some friend, they just believed a story that was not factual. And no matter how you explained it, no matter how many times, I've had people sit across the desk from me and I try to help them see that's really, you're looking at it wrong. But until they're willing to see that they're wrong, there's no hope for them because to them, everybody else is wrong. That's the way it was with Saul. David's wrong. Jonathan's wrong. All my servants are wrong. Ahimelech's wrong. To Saul, the only person that was right was Saul. And yet he was the one that was the most wrong. We need to be careful that we don't believe things about life or God or anything that are not true. So Ahimelech responds in verse 14. Or verse, let's look in verse 13. Let's, no, let's look at verse 12, I'm sorry. And Saul said to him, Look, hear now, thou son of a high tub. And he answered, Here am I, 
my Lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have you conspired against me? Now if you know the story, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, Ahimelech did not conspire against Saul. Why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, David, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword and hast inquired of God for him in order that or that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day. You are guilty of treason. You've helped David. You've conspired with him to rise up against me. Verse 14, Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law? And goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thy house. And he's defending David. He says, David, is, David was the best serving military man you had. He could have come out and said, by the way, Saul, if it wasn't for David, you'd still be on the, one of the mountains over the valley of Elah fretting over Goliath. David's the one that, that God used to bring you deliverance. So Ahimelech's trying to reason with him. Verse 15, Himalek continues, Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. This, this didn't happen. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my fathers. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. He's not denying that he saw David. He's not denying that he gave him a sword. He's not denying that he fed him. What he's denying is there's no conspiracy there. There's nothing there. And it's all imagined. Wouldn't it have been great if Saul, for his own sake, would have just hit the pause button and said, you know, let me rethink this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking wrong. And you know what? That would have been a wonderful thing, but he didn't. Verse 16, And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Himelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footman that stood about him, some of his military might. Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. So things have really gotten out of hand, and Saul is ordering the execution not only of Ahimelech, but all the priests. And the servants of Saul, now put yourself in this place, the servants of Saul were commanded to slay Ahimelech and these priests. But they refused to do so. They were, they were kind of sticking their own neck out at this point. They're refusing to do so. And I'll just make this comment in the lesson here. This is an example of how sometimes it is just to disagree with people over you who are telling you to do something that contradicts the will of God and the word of God. That doesn't mean that we're all to be rebels all the time and not submit to authority. It means that our first, our first obligation is not to the person in authority over us. Our first obligation is to God and his word. And so they were just in what they did and they refused to do so. So now what's the king going to do? 
It says in verse 18, And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priests and slew them on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. Eighty-five people were slaughtered because of a misguided, demonically influenced king. Isn't that a horrible thing? But that's not the end of it. Verse 19 says, And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he, talking about Doeg, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep, with the edge of the sword. Every man, every woman, every child, every infant, every animal were slaughtered. What a horrible thing. Isn't that a horrible, horrible thing? This really happened. And I, I say this every week, but I'm going to say it again. We see how far a person can go. Saul was picked out by God. Even though God wanted Israel to be without a king, they demanded a king, and God chose Saul, the son of Kish. The Spirit of God was upon him. He was prophesying. The Spirit of God was upon him. He was humble. He was hiding among the stuff, and yet one bad decision leads to another, leads to another, leads to another until the unthinkable happens. You know, do you ever wonder about how in the world does a person ever get to where they are to do such unthinkable things? I've thought about that before. Even people that you know and who once served the Lord and were faithful to God, and then they made a bad decision, and they made another bad decision, and before you know it, you're thinking, how did they ever get there? Well, this is how it happened. You know, one step leads to another, leads to another. And, I, and don't be upset with me for saying this, but I've, 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 I've been intrigued by this big nationwide interest in this Alec Murdoch murder deal. Y'all familiar with that? They found him guilty. They found him guilty. I don't know if he's guilty or not, but they found him guilty of killing his wife and his son, slaughtering them, really, point, point blank range, shot them both. And, and he was a lawyer himself. But I, but I think if, if that's true, he did that, how did he ever get there? And you know what? If you, all the things that come out about him was he was a liar, a cheat, cheated people out of their money, lied. You know, he, he, was, he was actually a person you could almost say, as we say in jest sometimes about politicians, the way you can know their line is their lips are moving. <laughs> that's kind of the way he was. And that's what happens. That's why we, can, we should not treat sin lightly because it hardens our heart. And so here, here David is just, or Saul, excuse me, is doing the unthinkable. Let's see where we were. First Samuel chapter 22 um, or chapter, yeah, 22. So then in verse 20, 20, it says, And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Important to remember that. He'll, he'll surface in the next chapter. So one of, the, one of the priests, of all those priests, one of those, a son of Ahitub, uh, Elimelech, excuse me, a son of Elimelech, Ahitub, 
escaped and fled after David. And, and Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. So David found out by this one priest, uh, Abiathar, that had escaped. Verse 22, And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day. I knew when I, when I saw Doeg, the Edomite, was there, that he would surely tell David, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. David blames himself for what happened. And David makes a promise to uh, Abiathar here in verse 23. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. I will personally make sure you're protected. So a horrible event when you think things can get no worse with Saul this happens. Um, let's just, as we always do, just have some printed out things at the bottom, some principles or ways to apply this to our own life. And I, it's important to know that these lessons would be valuable to me if all it was was a history lesson, if it was a record of how God dealt with people. But they're more than that. They're also lessons for us to learn from, things we can learn from in our own life. So the first one is like, like David and Adullam when he was in the cave. Fears and pain should motivate us to earnestly seek the Lord. And that's exactly what happened, I believe, in his life. And then this group of men who sided with David, small letter B, encourages me about the importance of men having a purpose or a cause. These people were discontent, but they became some of the greatest warriors ever. And see there, we ought to be careful not to dismiss potential in people's lives just because they're struggling. These men, these women were all, all these guys were struggling in their own way. Financially, they were struggling. They were, I think emotionally, probably they were struggling. They were discontent, discontent. it doesn't say this, but I, I know for sure they must have been discontent with Saul's leadership because they made the move to go from following Saul to come and follow David, be a part of about of his crew. D, the fact that God sent the prophet Gad to advise David must have been assuring to him, to hear from God. Now again, I think if you look at the, the whole thing here, you see that David was running, David was fearful, Saul was trying to kill him, David, David uh, goes to the priest and tells lies to the priest, he fled to Gath, and there he had to, act like he was an insane man slobbering all over himself. He's on the run. And, and now, though, he gets to the cave, gets some new perspective, gets, gets back where he needs to be spiritually. His heart is fixed. And then God sends a man of God, a prophet, to give him direction. To me, that's not incidental, that God sent him a word from the Lord at this place. And so, E, under that, Saul is an example of how fears and false ideas can appear true when there's no evidence of them. And just to ap apply this to our own life, we can experience the same kind of discouraging deception because something appears to be correct in our minds that ne does not necessarily mean it is true. And isn't that the truth, really? When we, just because I think something is so doesn't mean it's so. Even though it seems to be so, and maybe others say it is so, maybe something I've thought, 
Where do people get the idea that God, God cannot be trusted? They don't get that from God or the Bible. But you know what? They start believing things. They believe what they see. They doubt God and circumstances. And all of a sudden, they're questioning things. That's why we need to filter what we believe, what we think through the Word of God. Something matters more than what I feel, and that's what God says. Something matters more than what people say, and that's what God says. And so, you know, Saul, Saul fell into a trap of just believing all kinds of misinformation. We hear a lot about that, don't we? Misinformation. And you know what? It's happening in our country. This misinformation. It's happening in our schools. It's happening all around us where people are hearing things, believing things, acting on things, defending things, promoting things that really could not be further from the truth. But you know what? They're convinced they are the truth. They're convinced that they are real. It's just like, it's like I could get into a lot of things, but just I'll take one example, and that is the theory that the earth is getting warmer and we're going to be overcome by glaciers that have melted and all this. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to say this. Before 100 years ago or 150 years ago, there are no records there are no accurate records. We don't know what it was like 10,000 years ago, right? They say millions of years ago. There, there wasn't anything. But people believe this. They defend it. They champion it. They'll take our money to, def- to, to pay for it. And really, is there any really evidence of it? You know what I'm saying? We have to be careful what we believe. And I could give you other examples of the same thing. So, so once again, we're, we're, we're studying the kings. We're looking at the first king. And we're seeing, really, his demise before our eyes. Next week, chapter uh, 23, we're going to get another episode. All right? You guys are good listeners.